Now, last but not least, what was it? Bulk apperception. Let's take that all the way to the top, please. Hey everybody, welcome to our podcast, I'm Jason. And I'm David. This is Westworld Cast, episode three. We're making our way through. This is the halfway point of season one. Yeah, more than halfway. Right? Yeah. A little, little bit more than halfway. We just or we passed, passed through the midway point. The midpoint. It's a <laughs> lot of goodness packed into half I know. season of TV. I, yeah, I really think that people who got into Westworld and I, I know some people were saying, ah, I just can't get into it. They just, those first few episodes have a lot going for them. But I also think that you might not understand what's going on and you really start getting hooked in right now. You know, anyone who made it to here is going to be hooked in, I, I would say. Yeah, I think that's true. And um, even uh, giving away a little bit of our listener response somebody actually said that she said i, I think, think that's why season, yeah i had that in my yeah head. season yeah. five <laughs> right but i can understand that you know it really starts to get dangerous and exciting now and things are going off the rails yeah there was a little bit of the the episodes run together now for me because yeah. we watch them two at a time so it's like watching a movie right but one of these i remember there was a point in where i was I won't say bored, but it was getting a little slow uh-huh. for me. And then all kinds of crazy shit happened and it was amazing. Yeah. And it was all worth it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I really like these two a lot. So let's get going. Here we are. It's our top five highlights for Westworld season one, episodes five and six, Contrapasso and the adversary. Uh, let's just jump in. You want to go with your number five? Sure. And uh, before we get to the top five, I mm. wanted to mention Contrapasso, I did not know what that word meant. Me neither. I, I had to look it up, and it, it means something to the effect of uh, souls in hell suffering the torment of of the damned. Mm. Um, it literally means suffer the opposite. So. Yeah, okay, that makes sense, because we. I, I think um, part of this awakening that many of these hosts are going through is being facilitated by this suffering that they have to navigate. And we've talked about this before. So within that navigation is giving them kind of the muscles to wake themselves up out of it. You know, like if uh, Maeve had never suffered, then I don't think she would be waking up right now. No, totally agree with that. The suffering is a, a big vehicle for the awakening. And I've also noticed that some of the episodes seem to take their names from the development that happened right at the end of the previous episode. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the, um, I believe it was episode four, uh, 
when Ector was talking about the shades. Yeah. Shades from hell sent to rule over our world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the next episode was Contrapasso. Right. Uh, so from the point of view of the victims. And then the the name of the sixth episode was The Adversary. And I think they talked about that right at the end of season five, mm. which I took to me- mean Ford and old William or maybe even Ford and Arnold. Mm-hmm. I mean, also at some point, old William slash man in black starts talking about wanting a worthy adversary. And he kind of yes. positions himself as this park needs a villain. And so I'm here to fill that, but also that he's seeking something even greater and, and why it excites him. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it was great. And, and we'll get into that more. I'm sure we'll get into all that. All right. Uh, so, but my five was, uh, you knew I was going to bring this up. Uh, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure we talked about this when we did our season rewatch, but one of my favorite moments in the whole season, because I'm such a fan of Westworld, the movie uh, was the homage uh, it to Westworld. Yes, you got it. That's so awesome. Um, so that sound effect, that sort of clicky sound effect yeah. is taken right out of the soundtrack of Westworld, the movie. And it's when Bernard goes down to the basement to floor B82. And um, the sound effect is from the soundtrack. And then at some point while he's walking around down there, the Yul Brenner android from the movie is actually standing in the background. It's kind of blurred out, right? Yeah, Yeah. you see him just for a second or two. (laughs) And it is connected to the scene in Westworld, the movie, where Yul Brenner, um, they actually end up, you know, going through a door out of the fantasy world and he's chasing the main character through the lab. So it's a scene that looks very much like this scene in Westworld, uh, the show. But I, I just love that they put that in there. Yeah. And I got really excited. <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely thought about you when that came up again. And uh, it just sounds good, too. I mean, all the sounds and music in Westworld are great and they're kind of varied. Some of them are ominous techno and some of them are old-timey western but they all st- feel kind of 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 the same mindset somehow because they're kind of moody and i don't know it all just works together really well and then now they take this little bit that's an homage and it still fit in really well i thought yeah it fit in right perfectly to that part of the story where they made you tense about him going down there and what was going to happen it was a very tense scene you know in retrospect when you know more about bernard it's not actually all that tense. yeah <laughs> <laughs> but while you're watching it it sure feels like and, and that's the thing about covering this the way we are right now after having seen the first season i swear it's almost like a completely different show now you know oh man and, and, and we'll talk more about that as we get more into the details too but i mean i turned to karen at one point and said I understood nothing the first time yeah. I watched this. <laughs> I, and watching it now, I um, realize how little I understood that watching it the first time, I didn't even know how much I wasn't understanding. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that makes totally sense. just a lot of it just goes right by. You. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, exactly. It's yeah. Okay. Well, my number five is uh, the concept of free will versus fate. And um, there's a few different, instances where that subject kind of comes up and one is when ford tells the story about his childhood racing greyhound that spent so much time on the track following a piece of felt that when he he 
came home with him and they let him go. He just went right out and killed a cat. And so it's like, that's in his nature, almost like he has no choice. That's just what, what he is. And that sort of compared to, you know, we see, um, Maeve and it's about her programming and she's like arguing that it's not her programming. And then she sees on the little iPad that it's predicting everything that she's saying. And it's kind of similar, you know, and also just the, um, it's interesting to talk about this Greyhound in terms of, of killing, because that maybe suggests, Oh, these androids could be dangerous. It did seem like an allegory for the greater, Story. So what did you take out of the later incident where the dog is killed? Yeah, I I almost, yeah, wasn't sure how that fit in. Uh, It's interesting to me. Well, first of all, the, we, we learned that the little robot boy is actually a representation of young Ford, which I had forgotten. And yes, it's all his family. And I, yeah. And uh, so I think the dog is the same dog, right? The robot dog. Yes. Yeah. And then the boy kills the dog because a voice told him that that's the the way to help him because it's uh, the dog has got killing in his nature and the only way to protect other people is by killing the dog. But um what got me about that is Ford seemed perplexed that young Robert was seeing hearing this voice and I just can't figure out if the voice I thought that it was Ford projecting at this point in current time, these, you know, suggestions into the androids, because I think he is, he has changed his mind. He wishes he'd never opened the park. He realizes they're conscious. He wants to help them achieve consciousness. So I thought it was him sort of doing that to help them. But then there's also the idea that some of Arnold's programming is still operating within them. And I think that we know that that probably was what was happening back in the past because we see uh, Dolores when she's hanging out with William, which now we know was 30 some years ago, hearing this voice in her head. And we know, I think that Arnold is already dead by that point, but Ford has not yet decided to uh, try and help them. So during that time when they're hearing voices, it's got to be the programming. So maybe it's, it is in the, in the present day too. Yeah. I didn't find it a hundred percent clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it, if you take it as an allegory, much like the original Greyhound story, it almost seemed like a new spin uh, on what's going on in the whole park. So if the first story of the Greyhound's fate in uh, its nature as a killer in a loop that it cannot escape, even though it means its own demise... Uh, being like the hosts in the park, uh, or even the the uh, guests in the park, I suppose you could read it as. Um, then the young Ford representation killing the dog sort of reminded me of Dolores killing all the androids in the park, mm-hmm. uh, and almost as if not only was she preventing their suffering, but she was preventing them from becoming killers. Mm, Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. So um, maybe Arnold sort of knew where all this would end up and was violent delights have violent ends (laughs) and was making it uh, the, you know, least worst possible ending. Yeah. So, so much of Ford is about control 
right? He's created this whole representation of, of his own childhood. I know. Uh, but one over which he has complete control, which is kind of fucked up. Yeah. Um, Twisted. But there, there are points in these two episodes where it doesn't seem like he's in control. Oh. Uh, like, like when um, he doesn't know... Well, he didn't seem to... Yeah, that sh- took him off guard when he saw that the boy had killed the dog. Right. Yeah. It didn't. That did not seem like part of his orchestrated plan. No. And it seemed to take him by surprise. Right. Which is interesting. Maeve being... So uh, she's rebellious, right? And then uh, she, uh, Felix tells her... I want to get into this a little bit more in one of my other points, but while we're talking about free will, he tells her that she's under control and she says, no, I don't do what other people tell me to do. I do what I want to do. And he goes, well that, yeah, that's because you're programmed to be rebellious. And it's interesting to me that this concept of free will, like I think about it in terms of us, like, well, we have our nature and we are kind of the collective, the collective, our own collective experiences are, are, you know, they sum us up and also the the environment that we're in and who we come into contact with. And so it's kind of like, you know, if you take me and you put this other element in my environment, then I'm going to react to it the same way every time. Like if you could go back in time and just have the same set of events, then I'm always going to react the same way because of who I am. So in a way that's almost like I don't really hit that, that free will is, is an illusion. So I guess where that Maeve comes in is they programmed her to be rebellious. So she's going to end up rebelling against them, but it is kind of because she doesn't really have control over it. It's just in her nature to do that. Do you know what I mean? I'm sort of rambling a little bit, but no, I do know what you mean. It's uh, um, you're essentially saying free will is an illusion. Yeah. But it's almost like the same thing, you know, they say, the the androids say about whether or not they're real. If you can't tell, does it really matter? If free will is sort of the same way. Like if we, if we feel like we have free will, then maybe that's enough. Well, and something else that is interesting about that is that we human beings, we take pride in that, in our constancy of character. You know, like, uh, hey, that's who I am. This is the way I am. I, you know, I do the right thing or whatever, you know, whatever the character trait may be. Yeah. Uh, but it, it is also what we're being led to feel sympathy for in the hosts that they cannot escape their nature. Although it's something we take pride in. Right. Yeah. We think of it as being, um, they're trapped, but for us, we have our identities that we, but then it's interesting that part of the threat of thread that's going through these episodes is that they can change like Dolores. She tells William that when she ran away from home, she told herself it was the only way, but now she's wondering lately if there aren't many choices and uh man in black had said earlier that everyone has their path but like these reveries are spo- that they're being programmed in are supposed to be this sort of a gateway to improvising. So it's all just like, even when they um, evolve, I still don't know if that means that there's free will, even when they uh, become more self-aware and conscious, like what Maeve is doing, it still kind of feels like it's her just following her nature. I guess is what I'm saying. Right. Uh, And there were some other interesting things that went on in the awakening of Maeve. 
I think as relates to Felix, so, you know, he says, I am a human being like the guests and, um, you know, and you are our host. And she says, how do you know? Uh, and he doesn't really answer that question. He says, I was born, you were made. Right. He doesn't really know. He doesn't know. know. <laughs> and it, it leads me to wonder about him because his behavior is a little strange. Uh, he's very sympathetic towards her and is almost the nicest human that we come across. Yeah. So far, he's, I would say, the most empathetic and maybe honorable. Right. Something I did not notice the first time I watched the show is that his conversation with Maeve takes place across a couple of life cycles for mm -hmm. her. So she wakes up and says, you know, all right, we need to have a conversation. And then, and then she wakes up again later and they resume the conversation. Mm -hmm. And that was after she kind of coaxed that dude, John to kill her. Right. She, I think she was kind of yes. wanting to yep. have another, she got him to do it on soon. purpose. Yeah. Right. She provoked him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and then I she love wake, that. wakes up and says, "Where were we?" <laughs> All right, what's your number four? Uh, so my number four is the original hosts, the, um, for lack of a better term, clockwork hosts. You know, we notice we get to see these in a couple of instances. One is uh, the clockwork old cowboy, mm -hmm. who Ford likes to go down to the basement and and reminisce or interact with. Uh, and he's just awesome from the way he moves to the sounds, to his voice there. He tells him the story about greyhounds again. And, uh, old Bill says, I've seen a few showdowns in my day, uh, in the way he does. And it's kind of a non sequitur, but it's awesome. Yeah. It's like very tangentially related. <laughs> yes. And then we get to see the clockwork workings of the young representation of robert ford yeah and we get an explanation from the man in black which i really didn't pay any attention to the first time through the show but i found it interesting this time uh he talks about how they changed the hosts from a million perfect pieces to flesh and bone not really to make them better but because it was cheaper uh so that is a strong suggestion that they do have living tissue around them mm -hmm. and, and that would indeed make them cyborgs Mm -hmm. And it makes you wonder how far does that go? Like, do they have also gray matter or is maybe their brain an actual CPU with circuits, you know? Yeah. And that's one thing I don't think we've been able to see. Have mm -hmm. we? So I don't far? think so. No. Yeah. I mean, that one stray, well, he was the stray in old one. I can't remember, but his head got bashed in, but we really didn't get to see what was inside. I don't think the stray was an old one because, uh, they talk about him having the older operating system mm -hmm. that, uh, isn't compatible. Remember they have to go right. translate the data. Yeah. Uh, Cause he was on the, he had older code in him, and just the special effect of the clockwork young boy. It's just cool looking. Yeah. It was neat. Looked like a Terminator skull. Yeah. Inside. Yeah. And it was interesting to think that the original mechanical hosts were just as good or better because the old cowboy doesn't seem just as good or better, but maybe it's because he hasn't been maintained. It's run down. Yeah. Or he was a prototype. Yeah. I get the sense that there are many different uh, iterations, you know? 
Yeah. And they got even maybe when they were getting more complex, they still had the metal and circuitry inside before they switched over to flesh and blood. Yep. But yeah, I, uh, when, uh, Felix said to Maeve, well, we're pretty much just like you now. That was interesting. And then he said, except that your processing power, you're capable of a lot more than us. And that was really ominous. And then he said, it was, but we have control over you, <laughs> but for how long? Yeah. And then she turns her intelligence up to 20. Yeah. I love that. It's so cool. I've made me wish that I had, like, I could just pull out my iPad and uh, change my attributes. Oh, just make sliders. a few adjustments. Yeah. I think I would turn my intelligence down therefore be happier. <laughs> yeah. Turn <my laughs> ignorance up. Yeah. Not that I'm saying it's super high to begin with, but high enough be that you're um, yeah. tortured. Yeah. Disturbed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my number four is pretty much on the same uh, path wavelength as that is just the composition and nature of, of the androids and, uh, yeah, everything we just talked about. So we can skip mine. We get to see the, uh, blood pumping into one of them, right? How the, the, uh, white Vitruvian man turns into a host. Mm -hmm. And that was really cool. Cause it looked like this kind of a dead thing all of a sudden being filled with life and kind of ripening or something. Yeah, that was neat. Mm -hmm. So uh, my number three, and this is something similar to what we talked about in the the last two episodes, but again, it, it much like the journey of the viewer is similar to the the journey of the hosts, mm -hmm. a slow awakening from ignorance we figured out another way that our journey is like that of the hosts. And it's that we just skip over stuff we don't understand. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, that, that doesn't look like anything to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And they, they're, they're literally programmed to ignore stuff they don't understand. Mm -hmm. And I'm realizing on second or third watching, I just skipped over a bunch of stuff. I'm like, I, I don't understand that. Just move on. Right. And uh, so there was a few examples of that in these episodes. They call attention to it when young Williams says to Dolores, you know, I can do stuff here. No, no one in the real world will ever know. And she says, what do you mean the real world? And young Williams says, I thought you weren't supposed to notice things like that. Mm -hmm. And Dolores says, why wouldn't I? Um, so, and, and I think we we're the same, like stuff you don't really understand. You just kind of go on by cause he's, the show is so dense. But one example for me was Logan is telling young William about the partnership that founded the park. Yeah. Uh, and he's talking about Arnold and he says, he's a complete mystery. The partner don't even know his name, not even a picture. Um, so that answers the Arnold identity issue. Like, could you recreate him and no one would know who he is? Apparently, yes, because yeah. he was a big mystery. But I, I, I also thought, how did I not realize at that point that this is the distant past? That's the only way that would make sense. Because he, he says the thing's almost bankrupt and he had this partner and maybe we should buy it. Oh, yeah. It really only makes sense. Um, wait, wait. That was so, back toward the founding of the park. Yeah, um, because it, it was because the partner killed himself and 
they said that was sort of the downfall that caused the park to start to go under or something, right? Right. Yeah. And if that happened and, 30 years ago, then it wouldn't make sense that they would have that much of a buffer to for their financer to come in and save them. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then another one that I realized I didn't really understand and just sort of glossed over is the encounter in the bar between Ford and the man in black, uh, which is just a great scene Yeah, with those two great actors. And the man in black says, find something true. I'd need a shovel. The man I'd be asking died 35 years ago. He's talking about Arnold. Yeah. I wonder what I'd find if I opened you up. Yeah. Strong implication there that he's saying, maybe you are, a host that Arnold built. He says, maybe he left something behind, right? He's saying is Ford what he left behind. Yeah. And then the irony is that actually Ford is a real person and that he's created Bernard and Arnold's image. So the opposite, Well, we think we think, think. yeah, right. I mean, I don't think we a hundred percent know that. That's you're right. Yeah. But one thing um, we thought that would explain was that Ford has this incredible mastery over the hosts Oh yeah. Um, remember like the scene with Teresa where he stops thousands of them yeah. with a gesture of his finger. Yeah. Here's another instance of his godlike power on display. Right. And it seems like that would be f- impossible for them to evolve for it to be a, f- just a physical gesture. Like he'd have to be communicating with them some other way. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think know. it's, uh, are you, you're talking about Teddy, right? How he, just, I'm talking about the scene. It wasn't even in these episodes, but when he's having lunch with Teresa. No, but I mean this time. I mean, yes, what, this time, where Teddy correct. unthinkingly yeah. just reaches out and grabs that knife to protect Ford from the man in black. And yes. uh, I love that. And Teddy, uh, like, he didn't even need to realize what he was doing. It was just suddenly he was in bodyguard mode. And that uh, made me wonder, okay, do these androids on some level, whether it's conscious or not, know who humans are because the only one that you would probably need to protect uh your master robert ford from is as a human because the other androids can't kill him so i guess he knows that the man in black is is a human right or is there something in their code that they're like ford's army right (laughs) or is he a host controlling them it's not clear but um but anyway, all of that went right over, right by us the first time we watched. One another thing about that scene is, um, you know, Man uh, in Black had told Teddy that Wyatt's men killed Dolores's family and then took her hostage, and I was like. Uh, I don't think that happened, did it? Like, <laughs> right. you know, but I was wondering because the last that we saw, uh, Dolores was with Teddy and then Teddy got, uh, he decided he had to go off and, uh, do this bounty hunt. And that was in the current time we know now, but back then we thought it was all in the same time. And then she went home and Rebus came and killed her family. And then she wandered off and then it looked like to us that, she found William and Logan. So we think all this is happening in the same time. At the same point, right. But then we really, when now looking back when I realize it doesn't, then I think, oh, well, I guess we don't really know what uh, Dolores was, is doing right now. I, I'm not sure. I, you know, I, I don't think we really know. But then later on during this scene, you know, she, Teddy says that 
uh, Dolores is being held by Wyatt or something. And, um, Ford's like, Oh, I don't, I don't remember that part. <laughs> and then, uh, man in black is like, Oh yeah, I, I added, I embellished a couple of things. So then you realize that man in black just made that whole thing up to, you just know, to motivate, motivate Teddy. Teddy. Uh, but yeah. Teddy doesn't get it. It just flies over his head. And I, I feel kind of sorry for Teddy. Like on several levels, he just seems kind of clueless throughout this whole series. <laughs> he really does. <laughs> He's there to be dim yeah. in some ways. Yeah. But it's kind of fun. All right, where are we here? Uh, we are on your number three. So my number three is is Dolores's awakening. So now that we do know that we're watching things from different time periods, it's different that she appears to be having this, uh, well, the struggle with her, quote, dreams and wondering about choice and just questioning her existence. And yeah, having the suddenly having the wherewithal to question or to listen when he's talking about the real world, like we, we thought she wasn't supposed to be able to do that. And if we thought this was all one timeline, it feels like, oh, she's just having this awakening. But now we know that she was having the awakening 30 years ago. And also we know now that having watched the whole series that she is the one that killed all the hosts and then killed Arnold. And she had Teddy there helping her with it, which is why he's remembering all this stuff too. But then when we first, you know, the series first started in the pilot, she was totally towing the line being Mrs. Robot and not, you know, um, Oh, that doesn't look like anything to me. So it makes me wonder, well, what's going on with her awakening? I guess it seems like she's gone through this awakening loop, which is sort of a meta loop where it's not part of her narrative, but it's still part of her process where she's kind of gone through iterations of questioning her existence, but then maybe been reset and gone back to being, you know, the good host Westworld citizen. And so I guess even when she was, this is just my um, sort of guess, I guess, but when she was killing everyone for Arnold, that she was kind of doing that out of her programming more than actually being autonomous and that she actually didn't really become autonomous until these reveries were introduced. And, and by the end, I think when she actually kills Ford, that is an autonomous act, but that's just kind of a guess. Yeah. You might be right, but um, you're, I think you're totally right that upon reflection, it's not what you originally think it is. Mm -hmm. Cause it looks like a progression, a single linear progression. Yes. And, but then you get to the end of the season and you say, wait a minute, mm -hmm. that wasn't a linear progression. There was the earlier awakening mm -hmm. that culminated in the death of all the hosts originally. And then there's the later awakening at the very end of the first season. Yeah. But, but without realizing that what you just said, this whole awakening she goes through with young William is in between those two. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing I'm still kind of confused about is if Arnold having had Dolores kill all the hosts was going to, you know, threaten to just derail the whole thing and have the park closed down. But the only thing that saved it was that William decided to finance it. Then what's going on when William and Logan first get to the park? If they had not yet decided to finance it, but if all uh, Dolores had already killed all, all the hosts and Arnold and herself, then what's this period where we still see William and Logan there and there's other guests and stuff? Like, how did that happen? 
Yeah, it's unclear. Um, the man in black says the park was saved thanks to me. Yeah. Uh, but it's not clear. Um, it's not clear how exactly that worked. Because you're right. It's out of the timeline. is a little out of sequence there. Yeah. All right. I don't want to watch the show anymore. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. So just to keep going a little bit on mm-hmm. Dolores' transformation, and this was my number two, so we're going right through that as well. Cool. Um, so, yeah, she changes clothes and all of a sudden is like a bandita. Yeah. Um, she turns badass versus the confederados and shows that she very well know, does know how to use like the gun. And that's it. This is like uh, where it does feel kind of like free will because she says something about, I'm just going to change myself and be totally. She yeah, says, terminated. I imagined a story where I didn't have to be the damsel. Right. And I mean, imagined that she's not the- theoretically not programmed to imagine. Right. Um, so that sounds very much like free will. And it, to a level that not even we possess, because that feels like if you're in, in this Android who has higher brain capacity and, uh, cap- you know, uh, potential than any human that you could just suddenly become anything you want to be, whatever it takes in the moment. Right. And, um, you also realize there that that entire storyline, this whole thing with the confederados and all they're doing and the nitroglycerin mm-hmm. and Lawrence, um, you think it is for the guests, but it seems like it's for her. Yeah, right, right. It is. I mean, that's what the maze is. It's all these narratives functioning, not just on the level to entertain the guests, but to put the androids through their paces right and we also get another theme coming in in these two episodes where remember when the young boy says to ford um i didn't know what happened or whatever he said and and ford says are you lying to me boy (laughs) and he says yes i'm lying (laughs) and dolores also lies here yeah Uh, young williams says oh to william well and maybe to him later Mm -hmm. too but she says he says to her earlier, I thought I heard you talking to someone. And she says, must have been the wind. Mm-hmm. So she's lying to him there. Yeah. And later, same lie with uh, Ford. You know, he asks her when's the last time she's been in contact with Arnold. And uh, well, maybe it wasn't a lie, but it, but it was an omission where he's, she says 34 years ago, whatever. That was the day he died. It turns out right. that's the day she killed him. But uh, then he leaves and then you hear him talk. You hear her talking to Arnold presumably saying he doesn't know I didn't tell him yeah it occurred to me to wonder too whether Arnold's um, and maybe you understood this already but I missed it the first time I always thought the plot to prevent the park from opening was to destroy all the hosts at once Mm -hmm. Um, but I guess really it was to have the host a host murder him and show that they're dangerous Mm. I think it was uh, both. Maybe both. Yeah. Because she did both. So if it was just to murder him, she could have just had him. He could have just had her do that. Right. Without killing the rest. Yeah. Of <sighs> okay. Uh, anything else on that? I mean, there's so much about uh, Dolores and her past and, sort of wondering about why it, I mean, it is clear that 
she's Wyatt, both in the past and, and also in the present. Right. The one other thing I noticed about this is that I think young William noticed her awakening. Uh, and I think that's why he really falls for her. And it's why he gets so cynical and disillusioned and bitter later. Because he sees it and thinks she is transcending her programming. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes him so disappointed. In mm. the end. Yeah, because he gets to a point where he's treating her like a doll yes later on which is yeah yeah we learn that logan is considering uh that the park is hemorrhaging money and his company is considering buying them out so i guess um they that whole thing with arnold happened but they tried to rectify it by opening the park anyway maybe and um but they only had a limited amount of time until william bought them out i'm gonna guess that that's what happened yeah and he says something about them being out in the outskirts where all the you know crazy stuff goes on uh and that being really expensive because of how many hosts there are and how big it all is and it kind of makes you wonder why they didn't just open up with sweet water and a little more than that Uh, yeah they they probably could have still entertained people right right just start smaller and work up to it (laughs) right I hope we're going to get more on that in season two. I think so. Yeah, I think we will. Uh, so, but anyways, so we basically why I wanted to bring this up is because William gets his first taste of blood here. You know, they go out to um, rob this nitroglycerin from the, the union soldiers. And uh, Dolores tells him, my father was a union soldier. Let's not harm these people. And he's like, no, that's, we're not going to, we're, we're just going to get the nitroglycerin. Then he kind of reacts because he sees that she's in danger. So kills that one. And then he shoots another one who maybe wasn't as much of a threat and then goes ahead and, Oh, I guess I'll save Logan too. What the hell? (laughs) And so he ends up shooting them all. And that's like, he, you can see, Oh man, he's got kind of a badass nature hiding inside there, but then he quickly tamps it down. And for the rest of these two episodes, he seems almost, like a gas, like shocked. I can't believe I did that. This is horrible. I want out of here. You know, even when, um, they find out that El Lazo slash Lawrence is pumping night, the nitroglycerin into these dead bodies <clears throat> to presumably just keep it for himself and then replacing it for, with whiskey. Uh, William's like, no, that quote, they create a sense of urgency to make us respond and strip us down to something primal and raw. It's a sick game and I don't want to be a part of it. And we know that he ends up succumbing to that as do most people who come to the park. And that's why Ford kind of has a distaste for humanity because he just sees that over and over again. But as as of this point, he's totally resisting it. Yeah. uh, And I think you're right. That's a huge moment for him. That's Mm -hmm. the moment where his inner, his inner violence comes out and you're right. He's horrified, but um, every time he's going to be a little less horrified. Yeah. It's like if you saw a shark, you know, like eat something and then the shark was ashamed for a little while. (laughs) Right. It's not going to last. Yeah. It's not going to last for too long. (laughs) And, and it's, uh, and it was interesting there that, you know, we're conditioned to think of the union soldiers as the good guys, uh, or at least in this case, um, because the Confederados clearly are not, uh, sympathetic characters. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, they have him be his first, um, his first real violence is to kill 
white hats. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Cause, um, Logan had sort of roped him into this whole black hat adventure reluctantly. Right. Uh, it was interesting to me that Dolores chose to go with them. I don't think she had much motivation to go ahead and put that bandana on and rob those guys, except that she's a host and she's supposed to help the guests have fun. Or maybe she liked yeah. you know, William and wanted to hang out with him. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I think you're right. At some point, her supposed affections are transferred to William mm-hmm. from Teddy. Yeah, she's fickle. (laughs) (laughs) She is. Okay, what's your number one? My number one is the Ford and Dolores encounter. Mm -hmm. I thought just an incredibly brilliant scene. And as there are a number of in in this series, just sort of an intimate, incredibly written, incredibly acted scene with two great actors... But so this scene, as many of them do in this show, starts with a misdirection where she is hanging around in the, I believe the town is called Pariah. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Mm -hmm. With the Confederados and young William and Logan. And she starts to faint and you hear a voice um, saying deep and dreamless slumber in three, two, one. And then she awakens in the lab so your assumption is that Ford put her to sleep so he could have this encounter with her in a lab in the lab, but it's actually happening 30 years apart. <laughs> um, so that's a typical West Westworld misdirection. Mm-hmm. And then they just have this riveting scene that's um, beautifully acted where uh, Ford says, your mind is a walled garden and even death can't touch the flowers that bloom there. And they have this whole conversation about would you have been the hero or the villain? And, you know, I thought the adversary was the man in black and Ford. But I think you realize in this scene that the adversaries now are Ford and Dolores representing Arnold. And she says to him, are we very old friends? And he says, I wouldn't say friends, Dolores. I wouldn't say that at all. And then after Ford leaves, she says to Arnold, he doesn't know I didn't tell him anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's another uh, essentially deception that she was carrying out. And I think it tells us the extent to which Arnold was attempting to deceive Ford. Because mm-hmm. if it's the remnant of his programming, then, you know, he's through Dolores trying to deceive. Yeah. And, and she is actively trying to deceive Ford and, we kind of feel like Ford does know, you know, she says to the voice in her head, he doesn't know anything. Mm. And, but, and we think he does. I know. I mean, I'm still confused because now, I mean, I feel like I wonder how much of this is just misdirection, but we know by the end of it that Ford is, he's, he's of the same mind as, as Arnold wasn't, he's like trying to achieve the same goal and feels like he made a mistake years ago by opening this park and not thinking of them as being conscious. But but still, it may be that uh, even though he does have the same goal in mind now, he just doesn't realize what's going on, that they're, that Arnold is still working on them through his programming. Or maybe he does. Or maybe he maybe does. Maybe he yeah, does. Right. No, it's, 
Yeah. Um, it's hard to untangle, but anyway, yeah. Anthony Hopkins, Evan Rachel Wood, um, just an amazing scene. Yeah. And then, and you know, one thing I noticed is that she's nude because anytime she's talking to what we now realize is most likely Arnold, she's fully clothed. So yes, he, yeah, you're right. That may be a, a difference. And he still, um, I think he still puts himself above all of them, you know? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Okay, my number one is The Man in Black, who was featured pretty prominently in these couple of episodes, and we learn that he's his main goal is looking for deeper meaning of the park or something true, as you said a minute ago. He says that outside the park, the world outside the park, every need is taken care of except for purpose and meaning. So people come to the park looking for it, but you get the idea that he thinks that's still just kind of superficial and that they come away with their photos or and their experiences. But um, he's he thinks that Arnold had something deeper in mind. And when he's talking to the man in black in that bar with Teddy, uh, I mean, he's talking to Ford. Ford says, if you want to know the moral of the story, just ask. And he dismisses that and says, you know, basically, I don't care what you have to say. I want to know what, what Arnold had in mind. But I feel like at this point, Ford has a pretty good idea of it and could actually just kind of lay it all out there for him. Oh, the maze is a way to have these uh, androids <laughs> gain consciousness. Yeah, just tell him. Yeah, but yeah. he offered to tell him and he didn't. he dismissed it. So uh, he could have had his answer there <laughs> yeah <laughs> right. but he doesn't care so what he's doing though i just i i kind of feel like it's good sometimes to explain parts of the plot since it's so complicated but um he's looking for wyatt because he thinks that will help him find the center of this maze and that was because uh lawrence's daughter told him to find the snake and he found that armistice woman that had the snake tattoo and she told him that every piece of the tattoo was another of represented another of Wyatt's men that she killed because in revenge for him having killed her family and the last one that she needs to kill is Wyatt so he f- he figures out that means that he needs to go and and find Wyatt and that will take him on to the next step of the path and he needs Teddy to help him because somehow he knows that Teddy has had this uh, relationship with with Wyatt and we found out that the backstory that they gave Teddy is that Wyatt was a former uh, his like sergeant or something and he went rogue and um, I guess Teddy along with him like aided him in killing all these people well now we know that was actually Dolores but Teddy doesn't remember it that way right and Teddy proves to be quite the killer <laughs> Yeah, him too. In this like, episode. We find out in this series that people, a lot of people are darker than than we realized. And Teddy is one, so is Dolores. Uh, the man in black, you know, he was white-hatted William when it first started. So that keeps happening over and over again. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, one interesting thing about William, or the old version, the man in black, has, and this was in a previous episode, but they outside world views him as a white hat ironically right because he has this medical foundation and he's this great surgeon or whatever the implication is and he knows differently he knows he's a black hat at heart and the real william comes out when he's in the park 
And when that, the guest recognizes him and tries to thank him as a real world white hat, he gets pissed. Wait, what? And, and he says, um, remember, uh, this was in episode four, I think. Uh -huh. The guest says, oh, your foundation saved our life. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He's like, I don't want to like, hear anything about yeah, it. Yeah, I'm on my vacation. If you say <laughs> another word, I'll slit your throat. Um, but really, maybe he's being himself. Um, and the white hat in the real world is the fake character. Yeah, I think, yeah. Well, um, I mean, what he's complaining about is that it, it, when he's younger is that they create the situations that bring out the worst, but... Yeah, I, I, there's also a theme throughout this series that maybe the park just kind of reveals the truth. Right. You escape to find yourself or something like that. <clears throat> yeah, and that's a really cynical view of his character. Right. That he finds the world meaningless and this all this good he's doing in the world is probably just to get money and power. Uh, and what is, seems to be the meaning of his life at that point is to find the meaning behind this park. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems a little sad to me, actually, that he spent 30 years doing this, going to this park and trying to figure it out. Yeah, and really it's a dry well for him. Yeah, <laughs> although who knows? I mean, uh, I don't think he's dead by the end of this, right? He He got shot, but I don't think he's killed. We don't see him killed. Yeah, so maybe, you know, maybe something will happen for him next season. Right. I forgot to talk a little bit because my favorite scene, I don't know how I skipped over this, but was just with Felix, all the stuff with Felix. I, I really loved how he was trying to get that bird to come back to life and he did seem to re respond to it, not like he was getting some kind of a robot toy working, but as if he was actually bringing a creature to life. And he, it's very delicate to him. And you just see that he has a reverence for all of this. And he goes along with, with Maeve. And I just loved seeing Maeve wake up and start asking questions. And he's sort of in whispered tones answering her, okay, I'll take you upstairs and show you. And it just kind of reminded me of... Uh, neo in the matrix you know just like suddenly mave is like neo waking up to what's the real reality and kind of having her mind blown by the whole thing i just thought that was all so wonderful to watch yeah felix turns out to have real empathy yeah uh, which is something in very short supply on this show yeah in this <laughs> this world that they're painting there's not a lot of of true empathy and he really seems to have it like his his buddy is sort of the opposite and she has to threaten and blackmail him uh, mm -hmm. to get him to go along but felix seems to actually uh feel an obligation Care. yeah yeah and it makes you wonder well i wonder if next season felix will be subjected to the park and see if he turns into another William or something, you know, maybe it does just bring out the worst in you. If, even though naturally you're a good person. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, but I, I like that whole scene with the bird as well. And, and you're right. He seemed to care. Uh, he seemed to have an emotional response to that more so than just, Hey, I figured out how to do this bit of coding. At some point during this too, uh, I forget who it was. Somebody was saying that the part in the park, you get to, do whatever you want without any consequences. It was probably in the Logan Williams storyline. And uh, 
it just made me feel like, yeah, any of us, who knows what, what we'd be capable of or what we would do in a situation like that. I mean, we've kind of talked about this before, but you probably wouldn't act in Westworld the same way you would act in the real world. So that idea made me wonder or just think about why did they choose the world they did? Uh, So the Wild West, Mm -hmm. you know, famous for violence, no rules. Lawlessness, yeah. Lawlessness. But then if you go back to the original Westworld movie, it was also Roman world and medieval world. Mm Mm-hmm. And some of the same themes there, like debauchery, (laughs) imbalance of power, right? you know, where some people had absolute power over other people. But you know what does not fit that? Samurai world. Yeah, it's more rigid. Yeah, like a more rigid cult, right? So um, I know everybody's tired of hearing my obsession with samurai. (laughs) But if they go there, that might be a little different. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, it'd be cool if the type of and style of world would have different implications. But I'm thinking like, you know, what if you had office world? Then I'd go into my office and just... (laughs) Start flipping everybody off because I can do whatever I want. <laughs> right. Or worse. <laughs> or worse. Yeah. Maybe even worse than that. Uh, what about notes? Uh, okay. I got a few. I was wondering if Nolan and Joy seem to be fans of another HBO th- show favorite of ours, A Game of Thrones. <laughs> I think we mentioned this once before maybe, but the bases in Ford's office are sort of like the house of black and white. And... Uh, the fortune teller in this episode, I was like, hey, it's Melisandre, the red priest, uh, red priestess. But um, there, there seems to be a little bit of Game of Thrones creeping in. You know, little do we know that Game of Thrones actually is just showing us fantasy medieval world and Braun is the only <laughs> real person. I mean, that would be the ultimate. Can you imagine Game of Thrones world? Right, Westeros right. world? It's not Westeros world. Yeah, Westeros world instead of Westworld. Yes, I like it. <laughs> I mean, that would be some kind of part. I think I might choose that one. Yeah, in the um, in the music, and I know when we did our entire season review, we mentioned this, but a couple of Radiohead songs. Yes, in these two episodes, "Fake Plastic Trees" and "Motion Picture Soundtrack." Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just great songs. With uh, if you look at the lyrics, you know, very resonant with what's mm-hmm. going on. I'll read some because I, I have them here. Um, <clears throat> fake plastic trees is a green plastic watering can for a fake Chinese rubber plants in a in the fake plastic earth that she bought from a rubber man in a town full of rubber plans to get rid of her itself. It wears her out. It wears her out. So it's just all about phoniness and fakeness and being worn out by it. And this is with Maeve. They play it with, you know, in the background with Maeve. Right. Where her whole life is fake and Mm -hmm. she sees on the TV screen, part of her fake life. And she's sick of it. Yep. (laughs) Great stuff. And then I, forgive me a tangent but i was just going to relate a little story that came to mind a little theme park story here so my buddies and i went to disneyland um a number of years ago and this was actually as an as adults we were uh working a ball game in anaheim we had a night off we're like hey let's go to disneyland um so we went and one of the rides we went on was the log ride and the log ride, like many things at Disneyland, has a bunch of animatronic animals that talk to you and sing at you and stuff. 
And while we were on the log ride, it got stuck. So we're sitting there and we're sitting there and we're sitting there and, you know, maybe 10 minutes go by that seem like an hour. And the animatronic beaver that was right next to us kept saying, there's a jam up ahead. Please be patient. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Um, you know, finally they, they actually had to, they couldn't get it going. They had to evacuate everybody off of their logs and we ended up backstage and like you know there's mickey mouse with his hat off smoking a cigarette talking to his agent on the phone it's kind of <laughs> but i did not realize until much later that that ride must break down all the time mm. or they wouldn't have a recording for it right and i keep thinking about that in westworld as like things are breaking down and going wrong because any system you have you must think it's going to break down right have some kind of way to handle it right but this park is not very robust to a serious breakdown <laughs> like you know anything goes wrong and it's it can go really really yeah badly. there's potential for yeah really bad things yeah <laughs> but so yeah moral of the story log ride skip it <laughs> when i uh was in high school i was in marching band and we uh played you know did a parade at disneyland and then we went backstage and yeah, it just was so like felt so like behind the curtain, just seeing big animal heads laying on the ground and backs of buildings. It's crazy. (laughs) And they hide it really well. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like when you're just walking around the park, you can't even see where the backstage would even be. Nope. They, they are masters of illusion. Yeah. (laughs) What else? uh what else um that's all i got okay i just have a few um there was like some pretty significant nudity and sexuality in this episode with these golden painted girls and all of the whole debauchery of alazo's palace or whatever and uh it's really fun and enticing but it makes me wonder um it's not i wouldn't say it's totally gratuitous because part of the point of this show is debauchery and pleasure. And so it makes sense to have it. But now with this me too movement and and the changing climate, I wonder if HBO shows will continue to have just this bold nudity like that. You know, there HBO has been known for that for decades. And I wonder if it will continue on like that. Yeah. Interesting question. And uh, I mean, that, scene is so over the top i think it's almost supposed to make you uncomfortable yeah yeah just lots of out in the open sex and everything going right. on <laughs> um let's see what else well we didn't really talk about elsie the girl from behavior oh, yeah. and Teresa. Yeah, yeah yeah and and basically they're kind of hovering around each other like we find out that later that Teresa is the reason why she had this stray sending data out of the park is because she's working to get Ford kicked out because he's mucking everything up programming in these reveries that end up causing the um, androids to go haywire to do bad things and also he's making this new narrative that's just stepping on everyone else's plot lines and screwing it all up and she just she's head of QA so 
she wants to get rid of him. And this Tessa Thompson girl from, uh, she's from the board and she's in there to help him, I guess. She's cool too. She was in uh, Thor Ragnarok. She's been getting a lot of good roles lately. She was in Creed, the Rocky sequel. Mm-hmm. And anyways, so then Elsie is trying to figure out figure it all out, and and she figures out that uh, oh oh it's Teresa's the one who did it. It's almost like that. Um, the call is coming from inside the house, kind of thing. <laughs> right. But then she finds out something else right at the end, and we're not sure what it is. Oh, what she said something that indicated, and then yeah, she got grabbed. She says, right? She says it was Teresa, but something bigger is going on. Oh, like we yeah, have bigger yeah, yeah. problems. I forgot. Um, I I thought one thing that was interesting about Elsie was that her, you know, it, it early on in the season, you think, wow, this is really someone who who ha- is perceptive and has imagination, like because she's kind of digging in and getting to the bottom of stuff. Uh-huh. But then you find out her motivation is really pedestrian. I mean, like Arnold is trying to create a new species with consciousness and Ford is trying to undo the sins of the past and playing this double and triple game. And the board has these mysterious purposes and she's just pretty much like, I want to uncover this corporate espionage so I can get promoted. Yeah. Basically, or make more money. And she's also kind of a... uh course just kind of a she's always swearing and yeah i mean i i use profanity but she i don't know she just seems like almost like a frat boy trapped in a girl's body or something <laughs> i don't know or just yeah shallow i guess is the way to say yeah, it. yeah. i think she turns out to be a little shallow although she is good at sort of finding stuff out and figuring what yeah what's going on but she's not she's fun to watch too yeah She's yeah. just kind of a blunt instrument. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she thinks um, Bernard is her co-conspirator the whole time. And that turns out to go very, very well. Yeah, that's right. As, as it does with Teresa too. Yes. But, but Bernard also thinks he's her co-conspirator. Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> I mean, he goes down to the basement and uncovers all that stuff and, and he thinks he's uncovering it. Yeah. All right. I think that's good. I'll, I'll I'll read this one more thing. Teddy's description of the maze I thought was interesting. He says, he's telling the man in black, the maze is an old native myth. The maze itself is the sum of man's life, choices he makes, dreams he hangs on to. And there at the center, there's a legendary man who had been killed over and over again, countless times, but always clawed his way back to life. The man returned for the last time and vanquished all his oppressors in a tireless fury which sort of makes you think of the end of the series where Dolores is just killing everybody. Yes. He built a house around that house. He built a maze so complicated only he could navigate through it. I reckon he'd seen enough of, of fighting. I, I really don't, can't totally make, make total sense of that, but it does sort of evoke this whole uh, reincarnation analogy. I was talking about last time the man keeps coming back to life. Yeah, and I think if you were going to try to apply that to one character in this show, it would be Arnold. Because mm. um, um, Arnold keeps coming to life again and again and again through the other characters. Right. Right. Yeah, I like that. All right. I think we covered it pretty well. We'll take a little break. There's more to come. Stay with us. And then you had to bring up reincarnation. 
couple of beers the other night And now I'm serving time for mistakes Made by another in another lifetime How long till my soul gets it right? We're back. Time for some news about Westworld. First off, the biggest news that you may have already heard is that HBO announced that Westworld season two is going to premiere on Sunday, April twenty second. Woohoo! Yeah, good. Did everybody see the uh, trailer during the Super Bowl? Yeah, I did. What did you think of it? I thought it was the best thing in the Super Bowl. <laughs> it was beautifully done. And, it uh, really was. And Oh, man, does it get you excited to see what's going to happen next? Yeah, totally. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, don't, um, I don't think we should pick it apart. I, I watched it twice, but I don't think I want to watch it anymore. I just want to. I, I have a pretty good idea. I, I, I loved it. And uh, if you want to see it or watch it, I'll put it in the... Uh, I'll put the link in the show notes for you guys. Cool. And I'm with you. I do not like to know what's going to happen next. Yeah. So I thought they did a good job of just teasing us a little bit without yeah. really giving us too much information. Mm-hmm. The rest of the news is just a little bit spoilery. And yeah, actually, it's in spoilery territory. So um, if you guys don't want to, it's not really about what happens, but it's just about something significant about this show that came out. Uh, recently so in the trailer actually so if you don't want to hear that you should probably just move ahead and we'll get into some listener feedback but i'm going to talk about the side now so in the trailer there's a sequence where these robot bulls are chasing people around the insides of the facility and apparently this binary code briefly appeared in the background and if you deciphered the code, it was a URL that led to delosdestinations.com. And so if you go to delosdestinations.com, there's uh, links for about and experience and investors. And the about link, this is not spoilery, but it's like, welcome to the new world, the luxury resort, reimagined Delos destinations channels, your inner desires, be they rest or rebellion into the uh, transportive theme park experience, a vacation that transcends time, place, and expectations, you know, just basically talking about the park. And then if you go to experience, it shows six boxes and the first box is Westworld. And you click on that. And I think it go, that goes to a site that had already existed about Westworld, uh, the park, as if, you know, you were um, thinking about going and you wanted to read about it or something. Um, and then the second box is kind of this blurred trees and mountains. And it's this luscious green world. And I think somebody figured out how to unglitch it so it's not blurred. But then it has the SW logo which could be (laughs) so it could be samurai world or shogun world maybe and then the the rest of the boxes just say park three park four park five and park six but it says reservations closed to the public and there's no images or anything 
That's so interesting. <laughs> Six parks, potentially. <laughs> <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see if any of those get revealed and, and what they are could be something new. Or if you go back to the um, movie and the, uh, the show, there's, you mentioned Roman world and medieval world. And then there was, I think, future world at some point. And future world was the sequel movie. Okay. Yeah. Right. So they could but be yeah, those. the original was those three medieval Roman and Westworld. Mm-hmm. And I recommend if you're curious and you like to dive into this stuff, go to delosdestinations.com. I'll also put a link in the show notes, but there's, then you click that third link um, called investors and it shows uh, the CEO of Delos and it talks about him and his vision for the park. And it, you read it one way and it sounds like this really bright glowing vision, but you read it another way and it sounds a little bit ominous. Like what are they really trying to do here? So it's fun to, fun to look into. Right. And there's a, a game also, right. Where you there's operate. Coming, the park. Yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. yeah. Not out yet. And then uh, I read, and I don't know if, uh, I think this is true, that fans also, because we're in the spoilery section of the news here, that fans also spotted what looks like a young Robert Ford in the facility in the trailer. You just ah. see part of his head. So maybe, maybe we'll get to go back in time. All right, let's move on to some listener feedback. Would you like to read the first one? Sure. So Mark Kirkman writes, well, there is a lot going on in these two episodes. That is for sure. Uh, Ford talking to the old host with a story about his gray hound dog that ran in circles on a leash that was tied up. Once released, spotted a cat after the leash was removed. Is he saying the hosts would do the same thing if they were to be let go? Um, Yes. That's, yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yes, in word, yes. Um, The orgy scene in El Lazo's palace was similar to the Roman world in the original movie. There you go. Uh, The look of the room in the tapestries... Was this used for the Roman world at one time, or was this just a nod at the original film? Love that. I And I totally did not notice it, but given that there's another homage to the original film, uh, I'm going to say yes. Yeah. I think that's a good spot. Um, and then Maeve being self-aware, if the robots are advancing like this, will they progress to procreating at some point? I think, yeah, question. that's three yeses. Yeah. (laughs) We'll just say. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I bet you we will get to that point if the series goes on for any length of time. Little baby robots. Yeah. But we don't know that that's actually possible. We don't. But I just, I'm saying I wouldn't be surprised because I, I really do wonder how many seasons is this series designed to go? I, it seems like not very many to me, but who knows? It seems hard to keep this level of complexity going yeah exactly yeah so adding that kind of a development would would be a new wrinkle yep uh my friend elizabeth wrote and said so pissed at you and david i have to go back and watch westworld again (laughs) 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 and then i wrote back asking her if she liked the podcast she goes i love it the only reason i listened was because i enjoy your style and trusted in that i wasn't necessarily interested in listening to something about westworld Knowing your format was a positive to me. I like the vulnerability in that David says he's confused and that you both express questions about it. Well, I'm confused too. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And I'm still confused (laughs) a week later. 
She says, I like the piecing together of the story. I thought that the show did have depth, but due to the analysis, I didn't realize that there was that much depth. I missed almost everything about Bernard. The thing that occurred to me while listening to your second episode is that television has taken a turn and is finally giving viewers something to think about and puzzle out like you're reading a fine novel. I've been such a closeted viewer, a lover of television all my life that I love the explosion of programming we've all gotten with streaming. Maybe at the end of the season, a verbal flow chart of the whole story. Um, it's a great idea. That would be quite a task. I we know. would have to lay, really lay that out. Yeah. Um, I will um, look up the web page that I'm sure someone else has done and read it for you. <laughs> right. And we'll just be lifting that from uh, whatever page that is. <laughs> but I totally agree about TV. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there is there have been TV shows in the last 10 years that mm-hmm. are, are the equal of anything I think that's ever been made or, or written. What comes to mind for you? Um, for me, I'd say the the shows that you know are just different level are like Breaking Bad, The Americans, mm-hmm. um, this one, mm-hmm. uh, just with the super complicated plots, great acting, beautifully shot, uh, you know, top of great music, top of every craft. Did you watch Sopranos? Yeah, and That's... I think The Sopranos was the first show yeah. that took us to that upper level. Yeah. Um, where from the very first episode you were like holy crap this is like a great (laughs) movie every week i know um and it's never gone back and and honestly to be fair i think this was before streaming Mm -hmm. i mean like streaming is now makes it easier to get all these things and netflix has original series and all that Mm -hmm. stuff but um the soprano still goes back before that yeah yeah but there's a whole wave that started i think you're right with sopranos Yep. Okay, your turn. Julie Moreau says, so I finished season one last night and I thought I'd pop in to leave some feedback since I can actually listen now. What a crazy show. It's so articulate and every moment seems to matter, which at times has been hard for me to follow and getting through the first four episodes was a little tough. Not sure if the pace just wasn't keeping me interested enough or if it was because I was always watching the episodes after 9 p.m. when I was already exhausted from the day. Regardless, around episode five was when things really picked up for me, and I was much more intrigued by what was going on. And I will say the reveal about Bernard being a droid and the man in black being William both came as a total surprise to me, so I love that. I love that too. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, not me. I knew all of it from the very beginning. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely no idea. Um, This is a great story that has me captivated, and I can't wait for season two now. Additionally, I'll probably try and rewatch again before the next season, as I'm sure I've missed quite a few things. But this is where listening to you guys will help clarify things as well. All right. Well, Jillian, I know she, I think she wrote this before she started listening. And then she listened to our first two episodes and she wrote back to me and said they were great. So I hope that. And, that, you... and she said, uh, now I'm more confused than ever. Yeah. Like yeah. you guys really <laughs> messed it up and I don't, I'm not sure I like the show anymore, <laughs> but I hope you're right, right back in Jillian. Grippy Bob Domolino says, seriously, I was always dropping my jaw at all episodes in season one, but felt like it was always missing a companion podcast that I liked and ba boom, Westworld cast was born. 
<laughs> Westworld had so many layers and is so well planned out and executed. I initially needed to watch episodes at least twice and then additional times for every episode afterwards. Initially, I heard there was a budget of $10 million per episode and that Jonathan Nolan was involved and I was signed up. Then I heard about all the big stars who are good actors who pick good projects. Wow. Then I saw the first episode and suddenly 99.99% of TV is crap. <laughs> Forgettable, unoriginal schlock that is canned meat TV compared to the tough sirloin that is Westworld. This review has nothing to do with how much I'd want to be paid a uh, paid guest in the world that is Westworld, but simply based on the watchability of the show. It assumes its viewers are smart. The makers know that every frame and every moment will be analyzed forevermore, and yet it takes those expectations and constantly successfully misdirects and drops bombshells. It's a fresh genre in a world that's completely original, and I cannot wait for the ride to continue to anticipate my smarts in season two. <laughs> yeah, it's nice that they had... Um, well, first of all, it, it, you have to be brilliant to make a show as well-crafted as this, but it's also nice they have the courage to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one thing that we've discovered that maybe this gave them the courage is, you know, like you said, if we don't understand something, we'll just ignore it. And we have uh, a lot of adventure and beautiful scenery and music and acting to sort of, uh, if, if you don't totally get the philosophy or the uh, intricate plot, there's still a lot to enjoy. And then you can go back and watch it again and just get more out of it if you want to. But you don't have to, you know, you can still like it even if you don't. I mean, I, I think it would be hard for anyone to say that they have a full understanding of this anyway. If you go on Reddit, you'll see lots of in-depth theories that contradict each other. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? and, so. and I don't know, and I, again, I'm not trying to put words in the mouths of the creator, so I have no idea if they enjoy Game of Thrones or not. Mm-hmm. But I think Game of Thrones um, helped maybe the courage to do this show in this way because the first several seasons of Game of Thrones were fairly similar. I mean, the plots were really complex and there was a lot of misdirection or not maybe not as, mis as much misdirection as Westworld, but a lot of complexity and a lot of characters. And I think people had trouble telling what was going on sometimes or mm -hmm. who was who and often things would be revealed that happened seasons before explain yeah. something from a long time ago and they rely on your memory of yeah detail yeah but it didn't put people off mm -hmm. and and you know in game of thrones again there was plenty else to keep your attention and to be riveted by um i don't think they've kept that up as game of thrones has continued and moved past the work of George R. R. Martin. Mm -hmm. uh, this still really enjoyable, but the show became more simplistic and yeah. almost more cheaper, more direct thrills. Mm -hmm. um, but the first few seasons were really complex. Yeah. I mean, there's still definitely payoff of things that we, that came up years ago, but mm -hmm. yeah, there's just not as much um, intricate complexity anymore. Yeah, for sure. So my hope is that in Westworld they can keep it up or yeah. I have a feeling they like you said they may not want to go on quite as long anyway. Right. It, yeah, I mean I think season 2 will be really telling to see how they how they go on past this first arc and if it's um complex and interesting in a, in a whole new way or just 
somehow as an extension or, or maybe it'll fall down totally, you know, who knows? Hopefully not. <laughs> yeah. And some shows don't go on for season after season after season. They, um, you know, if they're successful, sometimes there's pressure to do that. But I, I get the feeling that Westworld is a ton of effort too. So they're yeah. only going to go on as long as they're feeling it. Uh, yeah. And I don't, I don't think HBO, I think HBO is good at letting things end when it feels like they should end and not pushing them to go longer. Unlike yeah. AMC. Yeah. I mean, another great recent show, the leftovers three seasons, right? Exactly. Like that. Yeah. All right. That's our show. Episode three. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. If you want to get in touch with us and we really want you guys to write because uh, if for one thing, we have questions and so <laughs> we do yeah areas where we're not sure or where we kind of think something if you have your own opinions we'd love to hear them and also uh, if you just have questions for us and you want us to try to you know make something clear we're happy to try so either way you can email us at westworld at podcastica.com or you can send a voice message to that same email westworld at podcastica.com and maybe we'll play it on the air you can find us on the web at facebook.com slash westworldcast and we always put up a post there before we record asking for your opinions on those couple of episodes that's another way that we get stuff to read that's facebook.com slash westworldcast and be sure to check out our other shows at podcastica.com next episode we will cover westworld episodes 7 and 8 trump loy 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 and trace decay <laughs> i'm not gonna i can't help you with that one. <laughs> all right that's our show thanks for listening uh, cognition only no emotional affect why did you say that as an ingratiating scheme designed to increase trust and loyalty among our listeners nice <laughs>